you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Right now in fast, the market breaching a key line in the sand. The S&P falling intraday to a new low for the year. The index closing close to a quarter, uh, losing close to its quarter of its value since the start of the year. So what are the key levels to watch right now? The chart master will join us and tell us. Plus, a new mortgage milestone for the housing market. Diana Olek is here to explain why the number seven will probably not be a lucky one for home buyers. And later, Kathy Wood standing by on her bullish call on Tesla, what she sees next for the EV space. And get ready tonight. We've got some... Slow money for ya. The traders give us their best idea for a stock worth owning if you've got five years to buy and hold. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq Market Site in the heart of Times Square. Full house tonight here at the Market Site. Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. We begin with the markets falling below that bottom set in June, the S&P midday dropping below the key 36.36 level, falling deeper into bear market territory. Today, nearly 150 S&P stocks hit fresh 52-week lows, the pain coming to basically every corner of the market. The Nasdaq, despite posting a small gain today, now down more than 30 percent for the year, the Dow down close to 20 percent, and the Russell 2000 off nearly 26 percent. And check this out, the four horsemen of tech, Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon, and Apple, have lost close to two and a half trillion dollars in market cap since late December of last year. Each company dropping more than $500 billion in value in less than a year. Where are we right now, Guy? You know, everybody calls me like Dolores Downer all the time. They think I'm always negative, right? Neg- bad. Actually, today's action mm-hmm. in terms of the VIX, first time that we're 32 and a half. You see the violent swing, something in our world we call negative gamma, bad Greek, we call it. When the higher the market goes, the more people short value have to buy. The lower it goes, the more they have to sell. And you saw that exactly today. But the good sign is that that typically means we're towards the end of something. Hmm. It's going to exhaust itself. So although I do think there is downside in the market, I'll say 3,400 is the level I still think we're going to reach. I actually think there's some opportunities to trade from the long side for the first time in a while. You thought that too, Karen. I thought exactly that same thing, and I texted Sandy and Melissa. Um, if I look at the volatility index, which I know Tim and, and Dan also like to focus on, and I chart that versus the S&P, I mean, a lot of times we'll just see that VIX. It gets into the 30s, sometimes spikes a little higher, but a lot of times around 30. And if you look at the divergence there, it's very, very wide. So I agree with Guy. I took off some hedges today. I bought back some XLF. I sold the TBT, which is the short bonds. Um, I covered IWM. And I bought some spider calls. Now, I'm always long. So even, you know, taking I'm always long. So, you know, this is definitely not fun. But I do feel like for the very short term, I, I think this is way oversold. So Karen's picture is a lot prettier than mine. I'm looking down at my notes. I have at greater than 35, uh, the market's a buy on the VIX. And, and so we have these points, and we're talking about a trading range. And we're talking about conditions where markets get oversold. There's no question we are oversold here. That doesn't mean at some point we can't uh, recalibrate and sell off more. And Guy's talking about defending that 36.36 June 16 low, which it, it's, been, it's been a champ over the last couple of days. But um, the interesting stuff, if you want to continue 
continue glass half full is is that rate, markets are not going to bottom until rates top and and depends on which part of the curve you want to look at um, fed fund futures uh, look over the last few days that they ground to an area where people are trying to get to terms on the terminal rate even though the fed doesn't know that themselves Rates came down a bit today, at least rates on the short end, um, and rates at least out to where we care about in terms of where the Fed may be going. So um, that mega cap tech dynamic is something that's well worth talking about because Apple's an outlier in that, in that group. And it's an outlier to me because of how little it's sold off relative to that group. But I'm sure we'll talk more about that. Are you glass half full too today, Dan? Well, I, I mean, listen, I, this, is, I, this may sound kind of goofy here. Um, the market's either going to rip 5% in a straight line or it's going to collapse 5% in a straight line this week. I mean, that's going to happen, I think, between now and Friday because we are just at such a dicey level. If you look at the S&P and if you look at the NASDAQ 100 and something's got to give here, and when you think about those things that Tim was talking about, everybody is focused on rates right now, everybody. Right. They're le- less focused on the stock market. They're more focused on rates, and that's the thing that, to me, most of us don't understand the dynamics of rates. They don't understand, and me included. I'm just saying, you know, I've been in the markets for 25 years, and a lot of this stuff we pick up a little bit, you know, bit by bit, you know, each year. But I guess the issue that I would say is that never in my 25 years um, have I seen a situation without a crisis right now where the macro is really dictating so much of the micro here. And that's one of the reasons why I think, you know, 5% would be a gift if you think to Guy's point, that we're going to go back to 3,400 or possibly below because you're going to lighten up on some things that you finally have the opportunity to do so. If you're a trader, you have the opportunity to kind of leg into some shorts when the VIX comes in below 25. And so option premiums are going to seem kind of reasonable here. But I'm also in the camp. We're just not done. I mean, if I think of the last two times that I remember the S&P 500 got cut in half during a recession, obviously you have to go back to 2000 to 2002. And then the financial crisis, 07, to the lows in 09. The S&P got cut in half. We're down 25%. The S&P was up 28% last year, people. You're not saying we're going to get cut in half. We could. I mean, you know, but it's going to take because, time. Because but it's going to take be, time. That would be basically wiping out every Why shouldn't it? that we you know, the pandemic But, Mel, the last two well, times when the S&P got cut in half, at the lows of the cycle, interest rates were basically at zero. Okay, now they've gone up precipitously in the shortest period of time we've ever seen a rise like that. He's saying cut in half from the all-time high, right. not from a 50% levels, retracement. Which, which is not, it's not out of the realm of possibility, given the environment that we find ourselves in. A lot of people, you start, and I'm not one of these people, so don't please, I'm begging you, don't <laughs> at me on the Twitter, but there are people out out there that I respect that have used the crash word more than a few times over the last couple weeks. I saw it when I was in Sicily, not Italy, over the last couple weeks. With that said, Dan's right. And what he's saying is it's going to move one way or another violently. But the point is when you start to see the direction, don't fade it. So you see a market that's up a percent and a half, chances are it's going to accelerate to the upside. That's the environment, again, I think we're in. But I, I think the, the message is one of patience. And I don't I think we're all saying that in our own way. I mean, I, I, you know, the, the market, part of the problem for a lot of traders is it hasn't been violent yet. I mean, I know it, it seems like it's been awful. Uh, and, it's, and it's been awful because if you think about it, we started a, a lot of this move in the middle part of 2021. When we start talking about high multiple tech, uh, Rick Heitzman's on. We're going to talk about some great companies that maybe started selling off then and, and actually look interesting here. But if you look at markets overall, um, we're at a place here. And back to those numbers on the S&P. In, in pre, uh, excuse me, pre-pandemic level, we were at 3,400-ish on the S&P. 
before we then went into the, the sell-off that then went into this stratospheric high. But that was a market that in February of 2020 had rallied almost 20% off of lows as we went into the last year. And some of that was, was fired by the Fed actually seeing rates collapse around the world and we started to ease in already. So you can make an argument that those pre-pandemic levels on the S&P at 3,400 were inflated. And, and you can make an argument that really closer to your pre-pandemic level is really around 3,000. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the reasons why we've seen the VIX so muted is that we haven't seen that sort of big whoosh. We've seen a death by a thousand paper cuts kind of movement on the S&P 500 in terms of moves lower. Right, right. Though this does sort of seem to be the range. To Dan's point, though, about a 5% up or 5% down, Mm -hmm. we could see both. Mm -hmm. Right? Oh, yeah. That wouldn't be, I mean, it'd be volatile. That's the market we've had. We've had so many trading ranges of, of, you know, plus or minus 8 or 9%. I just kind of hope it's the up first. Just because that's how <laughs> the way you're positioned right yeah, now. Right. Yeah. Um, let's yeah. get to the chart master. We're talking about levels, so why not? Carter Braxton Worth is here to tell us where the charts tell him the S&P 500 is heading next. Carter, I know you've been listening to our conversation intently. What do you think? Yeah, you're citing key levels, of course, 3,400 being the pre-pandemic high. But before we look at the charts, I think the question is, are we oversold? And in any oscillator one might use, the answer would be yes. But then consider this. If anything, the stock currency commodity index hasn't gone lower in three and a half months, could it be oversold? By definition, no. We're the same level we were on June 16th. So if we've not gone lower in three and a half months, by definition, we really aren't oversold. My hunch is we break and it's pretty sharp. Let's look at some charts. The first is just the here and now S&P. I've circled the lows, everyone's staring at it. Does it put in a double bottom and bounce? Or does it crack? Um, I'm in the crack camp. Uh, We're right at those lows. And here's the tell. It's not the S&P, it's the constituents. 58% of the constituents themselves are already below their June 16th low. And in fact, consider this, if you look at the median performance of all stocks since June, the median stock is already down 2.7% from its June low. The index is masking what's going on underneath the surface. Look at the next chart, it's longer term. Several of you referred to the 3,400 level. That's the pre-pandemic level. And even Tim said maybe that was inflated. So the MSAI all-country world index has already gone down to its pre-COVID high. I think the S&P follows suit. So you're looking at 7% from here. And at that point, we'd be down about 30 from the peak. Uh, Look at the same chart another way, head and shoulders. Look at it another way, a big inverted um, cup and handle. And so it doesn't matter how you draw the lines. And the question is, could we go a lot lower? The final chart, you'll see it here next, looks at the 09 low to where we are now. We have been ascending in this perfect channel for the better part of 15 years. And we're just now to the midpoint. We're breaking into the lower band. How far we sink into the lower band is the question. Were we to get all the way to the bottom of that lower band, that is also a number that you just heard Tim referenced 3,000. That's about where that comes into play. 3,000 is a lower band. So with the damage, if, if that were the scenario that we're playing out, Carter, then, then would, the, would most of the damage be done in the mega cap portion of the, of the market? Well, typically what happens in, in a real wipeout, there are two areas that get hit the worst. And think about why. The things that have done the worst, that have been going down all along, people literally abandon them. Like, what am I doing in this thing? This is terrible. And then the exact opposite, things that have held up very, very well. People say, I should get out of this. I got to save my money. And so it's a barbell. The holdouts succumb and drop aggressively. And those that were always lagging really sink 
deep value that gets even cheaper. Hey, Carter, it's Tim. How about the ultra leadership? I often refer to the semis. And if you look at that relative chart to the S&P, again, we're at some really critical levels for where we've been for the last five years. Getting that market leadership now, uh, has it broken through? Yes. So the, the semis, of course, the SOX index is below its June low. So the transports, the industrials. So the question is, semis have led almost every turn, even in 09, even in 07 on the way down. Uh, do semis start to stabilize? That'll be a key thing to look for. I don't see that yet. Look at something like Intel. It's just in freefall. So um, what are the relative safety areas, Carter? Are there well, any? That's, if uh, there are any. So the, the playbook, you know, day one in business school or page one of your first manual to your first job from your first boss, you hide in utilities and staples and healthcare and et cetera. Expensive. But there a lot are of those are expensive. things like Apple that might be holding up better than others. Oh, so you're going to stick with Apple then. All right. Carter, thank you. Carter Worth. Pick your safety play. Pick your safety play. Is that what we're doing? Picking a safety play? New game. New game. Do we have a graphic for this? It's not a game. We don't need a graphic. I'm just asking a question. (laughs) Over what time period? <laughs> in in the in the ride to a 3200, let's say. Yeah, what's going to hold what's, up? Well, yeah, out, exactly. What's going to outperform a market that's cratering? I think. Listen, and we'll talk about this later, I'm sure. But healthcare to me is still a place that you can be reasonable valuations across the space. That I don't think it's going to be impervious to a market sell-off, but I think will outperform in a broader market sell-off. Here's the thing. I mean, if we're waiting for rates to sort of settle down. Mm-hmm. What is going to be that catalyst for rates to settle down? We've got just craziness happening around the world. I mean, if you took a look at the UK guilt, 30-year guilt, we hit levels that we have not seen since 1998. Uh, what is going on in fixed income broadly is just un- unprecedented. Yeah, and, and again, you know, we keep hearing this expression by people who kind of get some of this macro stuff better than we do, um, that something's about to break. And if you look at what's gone on in, 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 in basically the British town, we've been talking about what's gone on with the euro. The 20-year, took 20 years, uh, the BOJ intervention there with the yen. I mean, there's things going on here where stock markets are just a, a, kind of a pawn here. And we're sitting here trying to find out yeah. individual names. And, you know, really it comes down to, you know, Mike Wilson, who comes on the show a lot for Morgan Stanley, he just took down his S&P estimates, and per fact set, they're coming down, you know, year over year. I think, you know, 9% growth was expected. Now consensus is about 7.5%. You tell me what the right multiple is in a recessionary environment that we have not even hit the recession yet, and we're going to be in a profits recession. You, I don't know, you want to put 14, you want to put 15 times? He's got $2 and 12, $2 and you know, $2.12 in earnings for next year. You put 14 on that, and you get below 3200 It's not far from guy's level here. So, again, nothing's going to go in a straight line. And the C word is a dangerous word, especially this time of year. I just don't think we go down there like that. Well, the crash. I mean, yeah, I, I, I didn't know where it was going, but I got You made me say it. I didn't want to say it. I, you know, I don't want the headline to be that. But my point is, is like it is one step forward, two steps back in bear markets like this. And that's clearly what we're in. Well, the C word could also be double C or C squared or constant currency. And all we hear about is the dollar. But what we haven't heard about, even in mega cap tech, is in constant currency terms, where they're going to cut. In other words, we we know the dollar has been uh, a beast and is certainly a major headwind. And I think that at some point it becomes a tailwind. Uh, You know, you just the dollar is so overbought doesn't mean it can't go further, especially based upon what's going on with with uh, the differentials in policy. But but I haven't heard talk of budget cuts as it relates to enterprise or CapEx or software. Um, That hasn't 
flowed through from any of the mega cap tech companies. And again, forget the dollar. How about constant currency? How about you know some of these companies that really have been the lifeblood of this move? Again, Apple's outperformed the, the S&P by 175% over the last five years. It, it, it's, it's clearly been a major boost to the entire marketplace. And I just don't think those comps things we can hold up. If a company like a Microsoft is starting to take a look, a hard look at its workforce and tell employees not to travel as much, be careful with your expenses, when are we going to hear we're not buying as much technology, right? Uh, at some point that follows, logically that follows. Not saying it has to, but logically it would. Right. That, that makes yeah. perfect sense to me. But, uh, you know, we come back to this a couple of times about some of these big cap tech companies have never been expense sort of, you know, focused on the expenses. And so I feel like that is one area where they, they can't find Google growth. sounds like they are. Well, Google I mean, does I mean, That's all they talk Microsoft about. Microsoft does right. now. Facebook, yeah. in some way, they're spending a lot of money, but they're also cutting back in other areas. That's a driver, not as good as revenue growth, but a driver. But it's hard to think, oh, enterprise spend will be completely Untouched and remain the same. The one piece of the puzzle that the Fed hasn't solved for yet is unemployment. And we know that they want that higher, right? right? But, so if you're a software company that you sell seats, licenses to these right. seats. And you have fewer we, heads. That's yes. right. So that's coming. That's coming. And these are the companies that are actually been in the forefront of reducing costs, headcount, that sort of thing over the last few months. And I just think you're going to see their customers start to do that very soon. And so that's kind of the last piece of the puzzle. When Microsoft reported, we said good news, bad news. If you recall, the stock Close at 255, the report, beeline to 242. They said, we're not seeing a slowdown in demand. The stock went to 295, broader market rallied. Everybody felt great about the quarter, which we said at the time was not particularly great. Now it's at 236, and it's actually trading as if exactly what the four of you were just talking about right now. We're going to see a slowdown in enterprise. And that is a good thing because that's the last piece of this puzzle, but it's going to be painful but getting there. what you're implying is that the level right now is already incorporating a pullback in demand. Yes. And so, therefore, if we do hear it, Maybe. that's still a buying opportunity. Well, I, that it's priced in. Not, not, not yet. Not I don't think, it's, not, I don't yeah, think I don't, it's priced in yet, but I think it's pricing it in. Okay. I don't think so. And, and again, it gets back to multiples on the S&P, which right. are a function of, also of where interest rates are. Let's let's be clear. Our discount rates are at much higher levels. You got to almost 4% on that 10 year. You can just do the math in terms of evaluation of a company. But but it is what's the you know, what's the E going to be there? And, and as Guy pointed out, we haven't even are you telling me um, we're still in positive EPS growth, 22 to, to 23 over 22. I, I just I'm not buying it. I'm just not buying it in a world where interest rates are that much higher. The rest of the world, I mean, look at the buying power of the rest of the world when the dollar's at 20-year highs. How, how easy is it going to be to buy software if you're a major enterprise in Europe? It's not. And I just, you know, that's the one part of this that it's one thing to say, what's the multiple you want to pay? But what is the earnings profile? We haven't even gotten there. Yeah. I think so we'll start to come up to earnings season soon. I think we're in this market where things will trade down on bad earnings. Even in this, so even if a competitor announced and you were down on that, and then you announced two days it'll later, go down again. it'll go down again, as will the competitor as well. And until we see this, you know, bad news finally doesn't move a stock anymore, that will be more of a bottom than just a trading bottom. Right. Coming up, mortgage mayhem, the 30-year jumping over 7% as rates continue to rise across the board. So what does the surge mean for home prices? The details next. And it's not just the housing market. How will rising rates impact tech stocks? Rick Heitzman of Firstmark joins us next to dig into what he sees next for the space. That interview in just moments. Do not go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two.
Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Got a news alert on Lyft. Steve Kovacs got the story. Steve. Hey there, Mel. Yeah, Lyft is uh, pausing all U.S. hiring. That's according to the New York Post. Uh, They have a statement here from Lyft saying due to the uncertain economy that they're going to be pausing hiring here in the U.S. through the end of the year. Now, this is for corporate employees, Mel, not drivers. They actually want as many drivers as they can get to get those wait times down and the prices back under control. But they are confirming they're pausing uh, U.S.-based roles through the end of the year, Mel. All right, Steve, thanks. Steve Kovac with that update on Lyft. We are just talking about this, uh, about these layoffs that have still yet to hit the numbers. Uh, Dan Nathan? Yeah, I I mean, pausing is not laying off, right? So let's just say, so there might be even this kind of net thing where, like, you see some attrition or whatever. But, I mean, again, I think that, you know, the story of a lot of these Q3 reports and the Q4 guidance, given the lack of visibility, is going to be cost reductions. The easiest place to do that right now is headcount. Yeah. Look, I, I think hearing about some fiscal, whether it's not austerity, but but actually being smart about how you're allocating dollars is what we've wanted to hear from the tech sector for a while now. So um, it doesn't change uh, the demand outlook for Lyft. When I hear that, I don't think, oh, boy. Uh, and again, I, you know, this is a stock that I actually added to today. So to be clear, and I'm going to talk about it later in the show in an exciting segment we have. I won't I'll leave it at that. Mm. But um, so I don't want to give too much away. I just maybe I just did. But I do I think, think that, you did. Well, well, all right. So I'll, I'll just simply <laughs> say lift. But go ahead. <laughs> I could just stop talking. But I mean, the, the bottom line Impossible. here is this is a company that I think that's also Impossible. It's a company that has had a 50 percent move higher, a major pullback. The story has been about finding drivers, getting a hole into their business and seeing their ASP stop dropping. And I think that is something we've already started to see. All right. Let's move on here for now. We'll hear much more about Lyft later. <laughs> really? That's ex- so exciting. exciting. new segment yeah, that we really have coming amazing. up. Anyway, OK. Bond yield surging this afternoon and that had more rates crossing into new territory. Diana Olick joins us now with the numbers. Diana. 
Melissa, we are officially in the sevens. The average rate on the 30-year fixed hit 7.08%. That, according to Mortgage News Daily, that's the first time it's been that high in almost 20 years. But what's striking is how fast it's risen, all the way from 3% in January and now more than doubling. The last time that happened was in July of 1980, when it shot up from 12 to 18%. But even that took a year and a half. Comparatively, it doubled from the mid-70s to 1981, but again, a longer time horizon. So back in that time, from 1980 to 83, when rates shot up, look at what happened to home sales. They fell by half until rates started pulling back sharply in June of 1982. Now, prices, though, did not drop so much because of rising rents. As for today, home sales are falling now as well, but really the story is prices pulling back so fast. The S&PK Schiller report out this morning showed prices in July still up over 15% from the year before, but down from an 18% gain in June and the biggest drop in that annual gain month to month in the history of the survey. Now, the realtors also noted last week that prices fell from July to August, which they usually do, but they fell at three times the historical pace. So I think the big story here is prices, Melissa. Wow. Diana, thank you. Diana Olick. Not good news for housing at all, whether it be home builders or the real real estate companies. Mortgage originators. Exactly. It's good news, bad news. The good news is affordability is coming down. The bad news is mortgage rates are literally twice what they were Mm -hmm. seven months ago, which is staggering if you think about it. I mean, that's back to the conversation we had at the beginning of the show about the absurdity of the bond market, the currency markets that people are starting to figure out now. So this will continue. You know, affordability will continue to come in. Rates will continue to grind higher. I don't know where it stops, but it ain't stopping here. Yeah. Home Depot, Lowe's. Well, I was thinking just one second on the home builders. Yeah. I'm wondering, the inventory they're selling now is probably very high-cost inventory. Commodity prices were so really those high. prices, yeah, have to come so down. So those margins, I mean, it's just an accounting issue, but those margins have to be getting squeezed. Mm-hmm. Um, so more, more bad news. I, I'm long Home Depot, long Lowe's. Clearly, it's not an ideal place to be right now. Yeah, I think Home Depot and Lowe's, again, to, relative to a market, multiple Lowe's trades at a discount. Home Depot, Depot at a slight premium. Um, based upon the historic, that's probably how it's supposed to be. I actually think Lowe's is the place you want to be. And the commitment that they've made to their digital, their loyalty, and their professional business is interesting. But but at some point, there's, there's again, the interest rate dynamic means there's only so much home equity in your home equity loan. And and it's a case where uh, th- those numbers also, th- those are revolving. Those are, those are uh, reset every time you move higher. The pain around that is something that I think is not yet bitten. Is there a silver lining to this? Yeah. I know people are going to be like, what, what's the silver lining to 7%? I'm going to pay 7% on a mortgage. That's great. Yep. It's working. What the Fed yes. is doing is working. It's throwing grit into the housing market. Housing was one of those things that are sticky. If we see this work, then maybe the right. Fed has less to go. Well, the, I mean, uh, can I get in here for a second? Yeah, of okay. course. All right. So I would just say, so if they're also, if it works, <laughs> if it <laughs> works, if it also <laughs> works that unemployment goes up, and Tim just mentioned these adjustable rate mortgages, you, know, you just think about the loss of disposable income that you're going to have. I mean, this is really has echoes of 2007, 8. I don't mean for the sort of crisis that we had. It was a very different thing, right? That was on the balance sheets of a lot of these banks. But if you think about a consumer that's kept this um, economy afloat, well, well, we are right about, we're on the precipice of them having much less purchasing power than they have in decades. What do they call that thing that people go to on the weekends between breakfast and breakfast brunch? And brunch. brunch. Yes. Brunch, right? And you probably love the, I mean, you're, you're a brunch person. You get your New York Times. You probably order like a beautiful omelet. And the presentation is extraordinary. 
But what has to happen to get to that omelet? Mel? Three mimosas. Wrong. You gotta crack a few <laughs> eggs. That's right. You gotta crack a few eggs. And that's the part we're going through so now. So we're headed to brunch. It's just we cracking. I'll go to brunch with you, eggs. by the way. Cracking the egg. I, I, I crack extraordinarily well. There's One an handed? art to it. One, one handed. handed. Nice. Don't get any Can shells. Can you separate? Pardon me? Can you separate yeah, the white Well, that's hand. a tough one. There's a little device for that where you get the yolk and the. No? You should think about some egg whites, guy. What are you saying? No, just, what are you trying to say? I don't even know what that means. Is We're that good for my constitution? Like There's a lot more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. Temporarily terrible. That's the word from our next guest, who says the tough times won't last. The space where he sees great companies emerging. Plus, Kathy's car care. The Tesla bull praising the EV maker yet again. And she has a revved-up outlook for the entire electric space. The details ahead. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Do not miss CNBC's Delivering Alpha returning in person tomorrow. Meet with economic leaders, policymakers, and the world's best investors as they share insight on risk, opportunity, and navigating the new market dynamic. And I will be moderating the Game of Risk panel tomorrow as well. Scan the QR code to register. Speaking of the world's top investors, the venture capitalist behind early stakes in Pinterest, Airbnb, and DraftKings is deploying new money into tech companies despite the tough market environment. Rick Heitzman is a founder and partner at Firstmark. He joins us here at the NASDAQ. Rick, great to see you. Great seeing you again. Great being back on set. Um, great to have you on set in person. In terms of rising rates, how does that play into how you deploy money and how you value companies right now? It re- it's really affecting everything. You know, In the last 25 years I've been doing this, you haven't seen a more tumultuous time. There's no, uh, no IPOs on the road, no IPOs testing the waters now. And what you're seeing is that's going to continue to decrease until rates settle. And as if there's no IPOs, there's no liquidity. If there's no liquidity, there's often not much more capital to invest. So it's really bringing the market to a halt in the private markets. You've got money to deploy. And I'm wondering, you know, in terms of private market valuations and companies that you will invest in, how are valuations holding up? Because on the one hand, you hear about companies, you know, they don't have access to capital. They, they need the money desperately. But then you've got, you know, examples like a Figma, which is bought at a huge premium. <laughs> so what, what's the deal here? Figma is not what's going on in the okay, market. Okay, that's what Figma I is, the, is, a, is an aberration, um, but we're seeing a market close both for public financings and largely on the M&A side. The large public tech companies are afraid to buy folks both for regulatory reasons and also they're unsure of their own valuation. So in a world where the valuations are moving all around, there's not the stalking horse of an IPO where I could say, hey, I'm going to go take this company public if you don't buy me today. Like, yeah, go try it. Maybe, maybe in 2023 we could come back. There's not much going on, and the lack of liquidity is further cutting off that oxygen for emerging companies. All right, so Rick, you have this capital to deploy. You just raised a fund. And, you know, the history of VC is like these tumultuous 
like times, there's like mega trends that come out of them, right? If you go back and you think in the wake of the financial crisis, there was the convergence of mobile, social, and you know broadband, that sort of thing, and you guys made some great investments. What are some of the mega trends you're focused on right now? So I think you're right. This is a great time to start a company. You're seeing more talent come together. You're seeing a more reasonable culture of thrift being built in companies built out of recessions. So we're excited. We signed two term sheets in the last week at companies of very normalized valuations. So the mega trends that we're seeing, though, is an ongoing march on the enterprise side of AI and artificial intelligence and machine learning driving enterprises. That trend's really going to play in over the next cycle because it's also a return on investment cost-cutting analysis. On the consumer side, we're still seeing a growth in games and even a disruption in major categories like healthcare with companies like Roman and financial services with companies like Extra. It's interesting you mentioned rates being a factor, but it's not the absolute rate. I mean, obviously that makes a difference, but it's the volatility around it. But there's no signs that this is and this is we're almost two years into a ridiculously absurd volatile bond market. And I don't see it abating anytime soon. It's not. And until it abates, you're not going to get to normal rules of the road, right? So whether it's on the M&A side or the financing side, where valuations come out is a function of having some rules of the road. And how high are interest rates going to go? What does volatility mean? And therefore, people feel comfortable valuing new IPOs. And otherwise, they're still focused on all the money they lost on last year's IPOs. It sounds, Rick, and last question because the producers are saying wrap. Um, it sounds like it, it's really, really hard to think about valuations on the public market side. And so I'm wondering, you know, when you see people make the case that it's time to get in on a X, Y, and Z company, is it just too early because of all the volatility out there? It depends on how long your time horizon is. You know, we, we pride ourselves on taking the longest view in the room and mm-hmm. having an ultra-long time horizon. So if we're investing now at the seed or Series A or the earliest stages, it's a great time to get in because we know it's going to be five to ten years before we have to get to liquidity. If you're a growth investor, it's a really difficult time because you don't know if that's going to be six months or six years right. so you're able to get liquid. Rick, great to speak with you. Thank you for coming by. Rick Heitzman of FirstMark. That gets at the problem that investors have, right, particularly growth investors, the the higher multiple areas of the market. What price do you pay for that at this point, Karen? Less, for sure, right? Well, yeah, less for sure, but what is the right right, uh, time? What's the right multiple? That is such a good question. I think that it's sort of like, what will the market bear? You used to be able to put some deck together and you never do a down round and all of that. And I'll bet that dynamic has changed dramatically. I would just say, you know, Rick even mentioned the Figma deal. You mentioned the Figma deal, Mel. And, and so you also get opportunities from dislocation. I, I, I bet Guy's got an opinion because you've been talking about this company for years. But that move in Adobe, um, I, I think, is extraordinary. I, I think it's overdone. And I think, although, you know, software companies are tough. And then there's the companies like Snowflake or Datadog or companies that are making money right now that actually have been destroyed. So I think these are the places you want to be at least picking over. Adobe's interesting, right? I mean, that's a stock. We've talked about it for years. The run-up it has in earnings, the subsequent sell-offs. This last one has been dramatic. I I mean, Dan actually flagged this a few times over the years. But to Tim's point, it's an extraordinarily important company, which value it's still not where it needs to be, getting a lot closer, as a lot of these names are, by the way, which is a good thing. I mean, all this, as painful as it is, it's a necessary evil. All right. Coming up, Kathy's car call, the ARK Invest CEO doubling down on her favorite EV stock, where she sees the space heading next. And check out this bond bummer. The LQD ETF hitting a new 52-week low in the move as options traders making moves in this name. How they're playing it straight ahead. Fast Money's back after this.
Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out the LQD, the investment-grade corporate bond ETF, hitting a fresh 52-week low today. For many on the street, this is a worrisome sign for the health of the credit market. LQD was one of the most active names in the options market. Uh, Mike has got the action on this. Mike. Yeah, it was the fourth busiest uh, ETF, actually, only following SPY, QQQ, and IWM. It traded 34 times its average daily put volume. And the most active contract uh, were the October 30 puts, 90 puts, excuse me. We saw 285,000 of those trading for about 50 cents. Included in that was a trade of 140,000 of the DEES 90-80 put spreads. Uh, buyers of those puts are obviously betting that there's potentially further weakness. And of course, as you point out, LQD is now touching levels that we haven't seen since the credit crisis. You've been watching this, Karen. Yes, I'm short this. I've been short this for a long time. I mean, a lot of this move is obviously rates. And the credit part is just starting to tick up. If you look at HYG, that's a little more credit-oriented. So there is still cre- plenty of credit room to move, maybe a lot less interest rate move, though. And yet that HYG, not too far off of those pandemic lows. But as Karen's point, I know this sounds somewhat obvious, but again, the high yield, the interest rate moves are more extraordinary when you consider the businesses and their inability and the bigger growth headwinds. And if you look at the high yield, and you can, you can look this up online. If you just go high yield OAS, you can see the spread. And we're around 520. We're, we're getting back 520 spread over. And this is something that's back near the wides that we had near those June lows. And uh, uh, frankly, based upon where rates have gone, they're a lot higher. Conceivably, those spreads should at least get a lot higher than that. Credit's been a concern. I mean, that, again, that's one of the final shoes to drop. And we're not there yet, but LQD and HYG, we've been pointing it out. Who's the guy from Pennsylvania that comes on? Good-looking guy. Looks like Jeff Drew Mills. Brees. The general? General. Mm-hmm. He's been pointing. He's watching He's got right a nice now, office, too. He does. Well, he's stark. Now. It's stark. stark. It's decorated now. Oh, it is. Yeah. He's got really? flowers. By he's got flowers. flowers. He sold from the lobby. Really fancy. <laughs> Um, Mike, thank you. Mike Coe for more Options Action. Tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, Kathy keeping at it. ARK Invest Kathy Wood doubling down in her Tesla bull case, what she had to say about the next steps in the EV race. The details ahead. And throughout Hispanic Heritage Month, we are celebrating our teammates and contributors. Here's one of our CNBC executive producers. Being a Hispanic immigrant has shaped nearly everything I've done to get where I am now. My parents boarded a plane from Argentina with two daughters and two suitcases to give us opportunities we may not have had otherwise. It was bold and courageous, and I've never taken it for granted. If my mom can become a doctor in a new language and my dad worked three jobs to keep us running, then there's nothing I can't do. I've learned to be adaptive and bold in my career, and I don't give up and I never shy away, especially from challenges. Embrace your story and use it to drive you. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Tesla topping the tape today, closing out 2.5% higher. The EV maker getting a boost after a longtime Tesla bull, Kathy Wood, doubled down on her rosy outlook for the stock. Here's what she had to say on Squawk Box this morning. We're pretty excited about uh, the the next five years. Uh, I think this year there will be uh, almost 8 million EVs sold around the world. We think that goes to 60 million in five years, and we think Tesla's in the driver's seat. So what do you think of these levels right here? Dan, at one point you were short 
still, I mean, it's not, it's not fun. Um, I mean, listen, I, I'll just say this um, about as gently as I can. I mean, she's been wrong about dozens and dozens of stocks, like, like horribly wrong. So this one, um, I just, you know, again, you know where I stand on this one. Um, I just don't know why you'd listen to that and buy the stock. And it has shown really good relative performance. Look at that chart right there. We know that the S&P and the NASDAQ are down 15% in the last few weeks, and this thing barely budges. Yeah, in our mega cap tech segment to start the show, I mean, this, this just fell off the top four or five because it's like the sixth largest company in the world. But it actually, to me, outside of Apple, is the other major standout. I mean, it's down 33%, but in this environment, again, based upon the multiple, that dynamic about where the EV world is going, to me, is also why I wouldn't want to own it. In other words, there's no question about where the world is on EV. Ford is, is making a closing path. They are a very distant second. But I guess the point here is that that, that market share, that leadership um, is very much in the price. And I think that's part of where they got that multiple. And in the environment we're talking about, long duration stocks, um, Tesla to me is the poster child of that. Are we too harsh in judging Kathy Wood? I mean, she's wrong, yes. I mean, the returns on her fund are terrible. Um, the timing of it is wrong. And, and maybe longer term, you know, it will play out. The critics of Kathy Wood, the and there are many, Kathy, yes. have been, in a word, acerbic, which is a great word, by nice the way. Nice job. Thank you. I've never heard that Appreciate before. Hey, okay, yeah. okay, stop no. for a second. It is a good word. It doesn't mean they're wrong. And right, to Dan's exactly. point, they're stuck. It's almost impossible to be as wrong in these names as she's been. Doesn't mean she's not brilliant. Doesn't mean she won't come back again. But for the last 18 months, by the way, coinciding with um, Michael Burry's call to short everything Kathy Wood and Tesla when he was spot on. I mean, it's been miserable. I mean, it's unfortunate. Obviously, the timing of interest rate moves is that that is the underlying sort of ballast for the entire portfolio. It seems of don't make money yet, but but will be gigantic in the future. So, I mean, the tide is really it's going against her. I just you know, she's always about how can you be short innovation? Then I always think, okay, but is there a price at which innovation is, you know, is not, is too expensive? For me, that was a long time ago. Coming up, everyone loves fast money, but what about slow money? Don't let the name fool you. The traders have some hot long-term investment picks. Those names are next. Fast Money's back right after this. It's time now for, you guessed it, mm. slow money. <laughs> Tonight we are asking the traders to give us a name or names that uh, at today's bear market levels are worth buying now and holding for the next five years. I wonder what Tim's going to say. I have no idea. <laughs> I'm excited to hear. <laughs> All right. I, I mean, people have been hanging on. I think the ratings just waiting for this segment. And again, it's a new segment, folks. So <laughs> slow it's, money. it's exciting. Uh, yes. Slow money. Thankfully, so it goes slowly. So let's okay. continue the lift just, story. Just a, just a thumbnail because we got... You know, uh, let's let's give some ground to some other yeah. people. But but the reasons for the next five years are the reasons why you, you own Lyft, because it is a global leader in transportation as a service. It's not just uh, ride share. It's bikes, it's scooters. It's all kinds of things. The partnerships that they have, um, the driver issues and the ASPs are two things I am not worried about. The compounded annual growth rate of probably 25 percent over these next five years and the profitability that's, uh, you know, basically the operational leverage in this model. This is absolutely this is a stock doesn't matter. That it's down 80 percent from its highs. 
Um, it, it matters that this is a company that's well positioned for the future. And I think a lot of the noise out of COVID will be in the rear view mirror. Wow. Right. Yeah, that's what I did. Uh, down whatever percentage from highs is meaningless yep. for this oh. particular exercise. It is where it is here the and where it will be in five years. So, Karen, what's your slow money play? My slow money play is actually an ETF. It's the XLV, which, you know, the top of the show guy was sort of in agreement with that. I mean, a lot of reasons. You know, the valuation, I think, is attractive right here. The balance sheets are in great shape. You have a sort of non-discretionary demand for the products. And uh, for a lot of them, great dividend yield. So I think this is a good place to hide out. I'm here. This is, a Karen, this is a Karen name, but I actually didn't read the instructions on the email, so I didn't realize it was like today. I actually think well, you, you, you have to mine the gap. I just think they're going to have better opportunities to buy any of these things, okay? And okay. I'm going to use Google here, Alphabet, okay? And this Love is that. one that on current estimates, they're expected to be up, okay? Earnings this year are expected to be down. So, so expectations have already come down. Next year, expected to be 12% earnings growth, uh, 13% sales growth, you know, 68% growth, gross margins. They have 10% of their market cap in cash, you know, all, all the above great. Here's the thing, guys. There's going to be a gap. There's got to be a realization that, that the 2023 numbers are not going to be what consensus is right now. And you're going to have an opportunity to buy a stock like this better. And when you get that gap, it's not going to be a one-quarter thing. It's going to take two quarters to work themselves out. So the stock trading at 97, the consensus targets on this thing is 143. There's 48 buys and three holds and no sells. Sentiment hasn't shifted yet. So you're going to have an opportunity to buy a Google and then you buy it in the 80s or something like that and you hold it for five years. When I was in college, I took a final exam my senior year. And you didn't read the instructions. And I didn't read the instructions. And what happened? And I was so excited when I just read like the first part and I'm like, oh, I know this. And I started to frantically write. And I handed it in. And then the professor called me and later said, you didn't read the instructions. I said, but yeah, I did such a great job. Even That's what Dan just did. Yeah. That's exactly what Dan just did. I didn't get a good grade. We want to grade Dan quickly or no? <laughs> or you just want to go? A C. I agree with that, by the way. I wish I got a C in that class. With that said, <laughs> I say this all the time. Gandhi could be president and defense spending will go higher in this country. Lockheed Martin trading at 14 times next year's numbers with a 24% growth rate. That's where you want to be in this game. All right. A C that's not great inflation. You could be an A, though, right? I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, I know. But you answered the wrong question on an exam. I mean, I... It was nuanced. The answer was nuanced. Anyway, we got final trades up next. for the final trade. Let's go around the horn, Tim. This is an environment for slow money. It's also an environment for companies like J&J. It's the eighth largest company in the world that's actually been very defensive and will continue to be. Chairwoman. Yes. So I'm not really a market timer, but every once in a while, it seems to me like things are a bit out of whack and overdone to the downside. I bought some spider calls. Dan Nathan. Yeah, I second that. Um, I try to do it not well, market timing. I'm a little early in this GOVT. I bet that yields will come in, but that's my trade here today. The image in the rearview mirror, Mel, is larger than it appears, or something like that. No. That image, by the way, is the Atlanta Braves, Tim. What? Amgen, A-M-G-N. Uh, about the Bravos. Uh, thank you for watching Fast Money. It's been fun having everybody here on set tonight. We'll see you tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Matt Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, No one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. 
FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 